Welcome to the Awaken the Awesome podcast with your host, Olivier D. This is Awaken the Awesome, a podcast where we acknowledge that we are all in this together. Through enlightening conversations and personal insights, we like to engage with individuals just like you who show us how they are bringing a little bit of awesomeness along their individual journeys. Our hope is to inspire you to always keep pushing and to stay awesome along the way. I have a thing for champions. People who, on their singular journeys, do not shy away from what is often regarded as hard or difficult, be it to achieve a chosen goal or define their sense of purpose. Champions know that to get the prize requires a series of processes, tactics, strategies, trials, errors, and lessons to be mastered and applied. Having all the attributes of a winner, my next guest, Terry Shower, is no stranger to these familiar waters as her incredible resume speaks for itself. As a successful real estate investor, Terry is an inspiring Canadian success story, having spent more than half her life skillfully managing various rental properties. As a passionate coach and speaker, Terry is a firm advocate that passive income brought on by the knowledgeable management of an investment property allows for security and financial stability many simply do not have. She aims to guide others on this path through a variety of educational resources, from online courses, regular workshops, and practical newsletters. Always about serving and paying it forward, Terry also shares her incredible insight in her book, Mindful Landlord, How to Run a Rental Property for Profit and Peace of Mind, which you should definitely check out. As if that weren't impressive enough, Terry is also a kick-ass martial artist, having won the World Jiu-Jitsu Championship not once, but twice. It's definitely an honor to host such an outstanding guest on the podcast. So let's get into this. Awaken the Awesome, episode 119 with Terry Shower. Here we go. So uh, with all respect, obviously, you know, we have to give credit where credit's due. Um, I really want to thank Alain Guillot for connecting us, you know, at, uh, at this uh, basically celebration for his 100th podcast episode at LinkedIn Montreal and a wonderful meetup. I never do those kind of things, but he really pushed me uh, to actually attend because <laughs> we connected mutually over LinkedIn. And you understand when you step outside of your comfort zone and you do different things, you meet wonderful people, you know? Yeah. And we had yeah. two wonderful speakers, Elahe Boss and my next guest, Terry Shower. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Terry. And I really, really enjoyed, you know, you always try to, you know, take notes and remember what people were doing, you know, photographers and real estates and people who are like, you know, in, um, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting the name. Um, Toastmasters, McGill and dancers and everything. And you have Terry, Terry, who just so happens to be a world champion, a two-time jujitsu world champion. And again, we're going to get into so many things that you already do, but, um, Really, off the bat, first of all, congratulations, because that's a huge, not once, but twice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I, it's, it definitely speaks to, you know, what a lot of people might want to, you know, um, take into, basically into consideration in regards to no matter where you are in life, all you, because again, you wear many hats. You're an author, you're an athlete, you're a speaker, you're a coach, you're a real estate investor. You know, you've got so many things going on and still you have the discipline and drive and dedication to achieve, you know, a very high level of execution and win a championship. So opening up all these great achievements, Terry, first of all, welcome to the Awaken the Awesome podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be able to have this conversation with you. 
Man, it's really, but when you said that, I was just like, you're just talking so so many things, you know, because you touched on so many things in your talk. You talked about adversity. You talked about, you know, staying focused on your goals. You talked about, you know, dealing with the setbacks. You talked about mindset, but at the core, and it's a very basic question, what got you into martial arts in the first place? Um, well, I guess uh, when I was a teenager, I did like the traditional team sports that people do. And then I actually played uh, ice hockey at McGill and at uh, U of T. Um, mm-hmm. And then I kind of got a bit fed up with like the team dynamics that, um, you know, if you're a first string player, then you get a lot of ice time. If you are like lower down in the ranks, you end up like following the team around and benching a lot. And so basically like, McGill was at the time kind of like a, a B level team. And I switched to U of T because I wanted to get better at ice hockey. And then I found myself on like the second or third string there. And I was benching a lot. And wow. then I went to see the coach to ask her, what can I do to move up? Like, what can I do to get better? And she said to me, I'm sorry, you just don't have a lot of talent. Maybe you should consider doing something else. <laughs> okay. Yep. And so then I was like, okay, uh, with this kind of attitude, like there's no, like if that's how she sees me, there's no way that I'm going to be able to progress here. And like, I was kind of done with ice hockey, you know, like after a year of spending three hours training every day and, and seeing that, like, I was not going to move forward with that. I'm like, okay, uh, let me go sign up for a martial art. Somehow I had in the back of my head that I was going to want to do that. And so then one thing led to another, I, I tried out karate, then, um, I liked the sparring. So then I ended up actually kickboxing for about 10 years. Um, then my journey took me through, like I was boxing semi-pro in France for a couple of years and then I came back to Canada. Yeah. And, uh, like was on the Canadian team for a couple of years. And then I kind of had enough of, of the kickboxing life because it's also like very, very intense, very competitive three hours a day in the gym. And then I discovered jujitsu, like kind of as a, retirement sport I guess <laughs> at like 32 33 I think I was when I started and then mm-hmm. I like really fell in love like I loved martial arts before but like jiu-jitsu was like it totally clicked um I guess because the sport's just like more complex you know like if you're doing let's say kickboxing you have punch kick hands and feet and then you just have to get really good at that. And so like your progress, let's say the first year is very big. And then after that, you kind of levels off. Whereas like okay. jujitsu is just, it's such a complex sport that like it takes 10 years to get a black belt. And like, there's a reason for that. It's because ten it's years. Just, okay. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah. So it's, it's such a complex sport. And then, you know, I, I, I loved it and I happened to end up, I got lucky and ended up in like, you know, good teams with good coaches that really pushed me. And then, a bunch of the groundwork that I'd laid in, in kickboxing and in the previous stuff, it kind of like fell into place. And then I started winning and then, you know, championships happened and other stuff happened. And, and like a lot of the mindset stuff and the physical training stuff kind of gelled for me in a way that it hadn't before. So yeah, it's such a short story long. <laughs> no, it's like, that's definitely what I'm about. It's definitely because it's, it's some, because you touch on so many things. But one thing I don't want people to lose out for all the listeners listening in, realize that you started out ice hockey. That's what you wanted to do. That's what you committed to. And you put in the work, you put in the time. And when you realize, and then for, this is for the people who are convinced and committed and dedicated, who just will not budge from their, let's just call it their objective. At some point, you have to, you know, just make a choice. 
And in your talks, you also talked about that in terms of choice. Do I still choose to keep benching or am I going to open my heart and my time and my availability and my skills and my curiosity to something else? And I'd like you to touch on that, about that fear that we might have to, you know what, pivot. Let's just try something else. Let's just try something else. Because it's not just about yeah. what the coach told you. It's also about what you tell yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, I think you're asking a really good and a really difficult question because I think, you know, like, it's a very fine line of discernment between when to quit one thing and, like you say, pivot and start something else and when you need to buckle down and just try harder. And, right. you know, it, it, I, like, as you're asking the question, I'm like a bit thinking, how am I going to answer this? Because I don't know if there's really an easy way to offer a blanket statement. I think if I look back at my own journey, like it's going to sound a bit corny, but like I always kind of followed my heart, you know, and I, yeah. And like, I knew when I had that conversation with the, with the ice hockey coach, like I kind of knew I was just done with ice hockey, you know, like I, I put a lot of effort into it and I felt like, look, it's, it's, one thing dies and another thing is born. And I feel like in your, in your life, if you really listen to yourself, like we know when it's fear that's stopping us from doing something. And we know, I think when it's that the thing is just dead, you know? And if you you, like, you just know that like, okay, like even if I spend X number of years beating this dead horse, like it's, it's just not going to, give me the passion and give me the bang that I wanted. And I guess when I pivoted out of kickboxing, it was the same thing, you know, like when I hung up my, my gloves from kickboxing, like I lost a big fight and I was kind of confronted with, okay, I could spend the next year training and try to make the Canadian team again. I I lost the Canadian championship and then I would have had to like keep training at the same level in the hope of making the Canadian team the next year. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just done with this. Like I've had the journey that I wanted to have and now it's time for my life to be about something else. So yeah, I don't know if that, if that answers the question. No, that is totally, totally, you're totally on point because people need to hear this truth because even at a championship level, even at a dedicated level, even at your core, you might be in love with the process. And as you said, it's a very difficult thing to stand on basically on that line, on that very fine line, as you put it. And because that's the truth, it's a very fine line between, okay, do I commit and do I still keep putting in the time and work and sacrifice? Or do you know what? Do I call it a day and just try something else? And at the certain time, like you're right, it's a hard question to answer because there is no right or wrong answer. I guess maybe it's the only one you can live with. And that's something that I celebrate you for because it wasn't, it probably was not easy because I heard a lot of commitment and throughout our interactions and all the content that you share, you definitely, you definitely come across as a person who's definitely very committed and very dedicated and very laser focused. And I was wondering, is that something that, you know, that was at an early age or is that something you basically learned to develop over time? Um, so it's, you know what, I actually kind of just wanted to like go back to the previous topic and just make one little bookend before we sure. launch into the next question. Can I do that? Sure. <laughs> um, sure. You're, you're so, the guest, man. Yeah. <laughs> so on the topic of like, you know, when you, when you kind of pivot out of something, I remember at one point, like in my kickboxing career, I had a conversation with someone who had retired and he was like kind of this, you know, I don't know, late thirties, um, you know, guy who was coaching me at the time. And, and like in every conversation we would have, he would have these like weird, um, 
wishes of like, oh, if I could make a comeback today, I could beat so-and-so and, you know, oh, if it was this, it would be that. And like always kind of coming back to a place in his life where he left things undone. And, right. you know, as I kind of switched out of things, like when I quit kickboxing, like I thought to myself, I do not want to be that guy one day. Like when I leave something, I need to leave it and be 100% at peace with the fact that I, I lived my journey and I'm not going to be having those like glory days conversations 10 years from now. So right. like maybe as a, you know, just as a final word on that topic, like I think that. No, that, no, uh, it's totally, it's no. totally true. It's totally true because we spend a lot of time and we see this in our surroundings, whether through loved ones or relatives or colleagues, there's always part of us or part of the people we know. We always know someone, everybody here knows someone who's always having that conversation about if, I had had the there you chance, go. or if I yeah, had exactly. put in the time, or if you don't want to do that, either you accept, or you either you accept that you won't, or you know don't have those coulda shoulda woulda circumstances. You don't exactly. want to do that because it's only exactly. going to eat at you. Exactly. So I guess if if I could say, put it like summarize it, say like, look, if you're going to move on for something from something, make sure that it doesn't end up being a glory days conversation five years, ten years, mm -hmm. twenty years down the road. What was the first championship like? The first win? <laughs> you know what? Like, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but it was like an immense sense of relief. Like, I spent 20 years chasing that, you know, like through kick in kickboxing, I was chasing a world title. Then I had another like eight years of jujitsu when I was chasing the world title. And like, when I finally pulled that first one off, like it was a, just a sense of relief that like, okay, like I, this was on my bucket list. This was one of the things that I knew I wanted to do while I'm on the planet and I did it and that's it. Yeah. It's gotta be euphoric. It's gotta be something when, the, when it first happens, when they say your name, it's gotta be yeah, something when they, pretty huge. When they lift your arm, you know, like in jujitsu, they do that thing at the end where like, like in boxing, like when they lift up your arm, like when they okay. lift up, lifted up my arm, it was just like the most amazing feeling. Like when you, you know, like everybody has those dreams, like when they're little kids, like that, you know, it's like maybe two or three things that you dream. I want this to be on my road in life, you know? And for me, that was like one of those things that I, I really wanted to do. And I spent 20 years chasing it. So like when it happens, no, there's like, it's up there with like the top, you know, three or four moments in my life, I would say. And is it ever enough? When do you know? Because a lot of the thing <laughs> about being a champion and the thing about being an overachiever, yeah. you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. You, you get that win. You get that, I'm sorry, high for like five seconds. And the next day I was like, okay, what's next? Does yeah. Really no, you know what? It's just, that's another like really awesome question. So basically like I, I won the first world championship in, in jiu-jitsu. There's like one uh, you compete with the judo gi on and the other one without the judo gi on. Mm -hmm. So I guess then what was it six months later or eight months later, I won the second um, world championship with Inogi. And once I'd done both once in the gi, once without the gi after that, I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I think this is enough now. Like I could try to train and like win again, but I think I've kind of checked that box and like, maybe now it's time for my life to be about something else. And, uh, so like I still, you know, I still compete. Maybe it's going to take some time before like I set up for another championship at that level. But I think after that, I kind of like sat down and had a bit of a refocus and like now I'm coaching more. 
So mm-hmm. I run a, a women's program like at the at the gym where I train, and now like I've got some of my girls who are like starting to fight, and I'm like watching them, you know, b- trying to bring them up to like you know a good level and like have them go through that awesome journey that I went on. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think the uh, enough changes into something different. Like at least for me, it does. You know, like once I feel like I've attained a specific goal that I had for a really long time, then it kind of morphs into something else. And now it's more about, for me, more about like letting, helping other people like tread that path, I guess. We grow as we learn to serve, because as you said, you walk through your own path and your own journey, and now you're sending the elevator back down. That's a great, yeah. great, great mission. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Wow. Um, and I wanted to touch on that because um, through reading, you know, your content and, you know, a couple of interviews you've done beforehand. And this was also where I wanted to, you know, pick your brain about a couple of things because you're a very, you're a seasoned real estate investor. And I learned from, you know, from the couple of interviews you did, you actually started really early, you know, as a student, yeah. you know, it's like, and again, for the normal people listening, because you hear these words being thrown around real estate investor, invest in real estate, buy a property, flip a property, you know, everything. Is it? that it can anybody actually get into real estate it's a dumb very low-hanging fruit question but really how how is difficult or how hard or how did it start for you because you started at a very early age if i'm not mistaken yeah so i started i went to um i went away to university i was living in montreal i went to to toronto and um there was no space in student residence so i ended up living in this like big victorian mansion that was like kind of a student it was was a co-op at the time and okay. uh, there was no property manager. Um, the place was like kind of, you know, there was garbage accumulating and like it was super disorganized. And then like when I moved in the next day, my housemates voted me property manager. So then like I, at 19, I moved out of my parents' house and like into this house 19, with like wow. 15, yeah, 15 students, were, which I was like managing from one day to the next, you know? So I did that then kind of for two years, like not for profit. Like it was just to keep the house organized and because I didn't want to live in a mess. And then after that, like once I figured out how to do it, I thought I I had to move cities because, um, you know, my, whatever my, my studies took me somewhere else. And then I figured, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to rent a big house myself and I'm going to set up the same kind of like community style living where like people rent a room and, you know, we enjoy sharing like living space with other people and then it helped obviously cut like some of my overhead um so yeah that's kind of how it got started and then one thing so it's led really to another learning then, on the job yeah yeah absolutely so you should basically you know eventually for those people who are stuck trying to figure out how am i going to do this i guess you just have to you know do it and then you'll figure it out <laughs> so i guess that would be you know your advice yeah well so i think People like get hung up with real estate on the number of zeros and the fact that, um, you know, let's say you can't qualify for like a $300,000 mortgage. Oh, there's no point. But I think that's really like kind of a mistake to assume that the barriers to entry are so high. Like I'm actually coaching right now um, a couple of uh, students from McGill who Mm -hmm. they're like far from having the borrowing capacity to buy something, but they've now set themselves up where they rented apartments that are like bigger than what they personally can use. And they're renting out the other rooms for profit, like with uh, inclusions and different kind of stuff. And so they're able to actually live rent free that way. And so like, yeah, people talk about real estate and they think like, Oh, as to be an investor, like automatically you have to own like this many units and it has to be this big of a thing. I think that's a mistake. I think like 
realist, like the place that we live. So your housing cost is probably going to be the biggest chunk of your income. And if you can find a way to leverage like a unit that you rent or a basement unit or any small incremental thing that you can use to cut that major expense, then you're going to be coming out ahead and then you can use that other money to find some other kind of passive income. Like it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to, you know, buy some crazy expensive thing. You can also do it with a place that you rent, like, you know, leveraging some other leveraging in some other way. Because I've been, you know, I've been very interested in the entire, like, you know, jumping into real estate. And again, like I said, normal guy, house, two kids, a mortgage and a full-time job. And sometimes you're like, you know what? You need to educate yourself. You need to learn. You can't just fall back on the entire reservations or doubts or fears of just like, oh, it's too complicated or not enough money. You need to learn stuff, huh? You just need to, yeah. you need to have the conversation with people who have done it. And I guess a lot of people are held back by their fear, I guess. Or lack yeah. of education? Yeah, well, like I said, I think like people also, I would say like in real estate, people are like, it's fear, but it's fear mixed with assumptions. And I think people have a lot of like, you know, preconceptions of how things need to be with housing. I'll give you an example. Like people kind of assume that the minute you start um, having a decent salary and a bit of money on the side, you need to like purchase your own home. Okay. You need to purchase a condo or you need to purchase uh, a single family home and that that's going to be the best use of your capital. Um, That's actually like, I would say that's probably not the case. And like, let's say I bought my single family home after I'd been an investor for, I don't know, whatever, 12, 13 years. Um, And so, you know, like I think those, those, ideas that we grow up with um, as to like what, what you have to do with your capital, what you have to do with your borrowing capacity, like it's not necessarily true. And I think when you start getting into, like you said, learning from people who have, you know, set up investments and, and, and been active in the real estate market, like you see that using your seed capital, it's really like, that's what you're going to be able to use to leverage. And so if you park it all in a single family home and then that's eating all your disposable income, like let's say you're putting 33 to 50% of like your salary into paying your own personal mortgage, you're going to stay in the rat race. Like it's basically a one-way ticket to stay in the rat race. Right. Okay. So you really have to crush your numbers down. And what are some of the best we can get educated? Do we speak to a financial planner? Do we just like, you know, Google it? Like, you know, how, 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 what are the best ways for us to get started? You know, I'm really asking basic questions here because people are are curious about this. Yeah. Well, I would say the the first thing you should do, the first thing someone should do when they get interested in real estate is read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, I think that's, it's such, it's such a seminal thing to really, get you to understand the distinction between um, passive income and active income. And I think whether or not you end up investing in real estate or whether you start a business or like invest in stocks or something, it's that's like the most key distinction of what keeps you on the treadmill, like as an employee where maybe it's going to be very difficult to get ahead. And then what is when you own um, an, an asset that generates income. So I would say to start with that book, And then there are so many like free resources, be it um, podcasts, like if you just Google real estate podcasts, um, even like with the or or, like books, depending on what what market you're in. I think Mm -hmm. after, you know, let's say reading Kiyosaki, like let's say someone who's in the U.S. maybe shouldn't be reading the same resources as somebody who's in Canada. 
But I think um, after that, it's time to go look more like at, at information resources that are for a local market. But if right. you read, you know, you can look on look on Amazon, let's say books that have come out in the last five years. If you li- prefer to listen to podcasts, go through the podcast offerings. And I think before signing up to any, because in real estate, there's a lot of gurus who sell very expensive training programs. And I think yeah, that is to be confusing. avoided. That's my concern. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that is really to be avoided if at all possible, because the information that they give is available in books at a low cost in podcasts, or else there's a lot of like online courses that are available for like, you know, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks with the same content. So that would be my, my advice. Golden. But what has kept you so consistent and so dedicated and so involved for the past, like, you know, 10, 12, 15 years that you've been in the game? Because, again, there's passion, but at the time, because, again, we talk about consistency. We talk about the championship mindset because it, it's not all peachy and roses from time to time. It's really, you've had to have, you know, a lot of dedication just to keep, you know, at it this long. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, like, I mean, the thing, the thing with my relationship with real estate is that it, for me, it's always been more a question of financing the other things in my life that I want to do. Like if I'm passionate about real estate, it's because it allows me, it gives me the freedom to pursue my sports career at a high level, to write a book, to now spend time with my son, to have a flexible life, to be able to like go on vacation when I want to. And I think, you know, when I started uh, getting into like leveraging my housing costs, so like when I was a student and I rented a big house and portioned out the rooms to have more disposable income, for me, it was always a question of like, how can I get more time and more money to spend on the things that I want to spend. I never wanted to, you know, like be like, you know, be, be Donald Trump, you know, like I never wanted to make millions and millions of dollars. I wanted to have control of my time and enough disposable income to live the lifestyle I want, which is not crazy. And, you know, then I guess a little bit like, uh, like with jujitsu, like after I attained a certain level of success, like, now it's more for me about like, how can I help other people gain the benefits of that? Because once you, I mean, once you attain financial independence, like it's not so much about what, what am I, I don't need to make any more money, you know, like now it's, it's about Mm -hmm. like, how can I help other people get to that level or actualize themselves through that particular vehicle? So and what have you seen in terms of changes from when you started? I'm sure it's, you know, it's a very global type of question, but, you know, from when you started to now, what have been some of the most significant changes you've seen either in the real estate, either the market or the information or the accessibility or has it, how, how has it evolved in your experience? Yeah, well, I mean, the, I'm going to give you a, a very local answer. So like I mostly worked, um, in the Montreal market. I, I was in France for a couple of years and I worked there, but like my main experience has been in Montreal. And I guess what I've seen here is like the market has really progressed. Like, you know, property values have, have almost doubled in like the, the 15 years that I've been investing in Montreal and no also kidding. just like, yeah. And like also just the level of uh, professionalism. Like when I started, man, like I remember the kind of shady deals like, you know, people with money in suitcases and like fake leases and, you know, like all all the crazy kind of stuff that there was versus now, like, I feel like the industry has really cleaned itself up as more 
money has come in, there's been like more legitimacy, more like attention to legal stuff. And like, as I observe now, it seems like everything has just become like a whole lot more kosher than 10, 15 years ago, let's say. And for, for those of us parents, because you hear that a lot in terms of education and the stuff that, you know, that unfortunately the schools are not teaching our kids. Yes. What do you think would be the best tips that for us, our parents, because I've got two young kids myself and I'm always asking the professionals and these people I'm connecting with, what are the best lessons right now? The, the secure tools that my kids can actually use down the road. What should I be teaching them right now? That's a, it's a tough question. Like, I guess, because there's a real lack of resources for youth, let's say, to learn financial literacy. And I think like if I were, you know, the president of Canada or whatever, like if I if I had some kind of uh, grain of sand to put into this, the, the modern like school system, I would like, you know, do kids really need to know like sine and cosine and the hypotenuses of triangle or do they need to know how to calculate the interest rate on a credit card and how to figure out a car loan? You know, I think that's a, as you, as you say, that's like a huge hole in, in financial education. I know that like some of the, um, let's say rich dad, poor dad has a, a youth training. I know in Quebec, Club uh, Investisseur just started, they have a, you know, an afternoon training for, for kids. And I know also mm-hmm. like even like Tony Robbins um, has like a kind of a financial segment and he also has like a youth program. So I would see like the, the, that's it's starting. It's starting. It's not like let's say there's not that much out there, but I know that like stuff is definitely starting. And I think like that might be educational resources, but like just in terms of what you vehicle in the home. Like I know my parents uh, who are in business, like they had super open business discussions with us all the time. They you know got us like bank accounts and credit cards at a really young age, like not so that we could go crazy with them, but so that like we would receive a credit card statement and then we'd have to pay it. Like, even though it was getting paid from our allowance, it was still a way of like making us responsible for the financial aspect of our lives. And I feel like that really went a long way in, in, in teaching me to be financially responsible. So you're open again for having these discussions uh, with the youth and helping them understand you know, the basics of stuff they're actually going to use. Again, like you mentioned credit cards. You're right. You're so right. Because even when I got here as a student, it was probably the one of the first times I had a credit card to my name. And I, even when it was a $500 credit card. But again, you have to, it wakes you up, you know, when you have to actually realize, that, oh, okay, this is, it's, I have to pay this. It's, it's not mom and dad anymore. And had I had that training or that, you know, catering or that maturity a little bit earlier, probably those couple of, you know, financial mistakes I wouldn't have made. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, and like the the great thing with like those youth accounts, like let's say it's, if it's a youth credit card or like a youth uh, phone account or whatever, my mom was getting the statement too, eh? Wasn't just me getting the statement. So right. she was there checking to make sure that I was like making my payments and doing what I had to do. But it, at the same time, it gives you the feeling of independence that like, okay, well, like this is now my baby and I need to manage it. So I think that's, uh, there's like all kinds of like good things in place there that helps like, let's say adolescents get used to paying their own bills and managing their own stuff. You talked about it just a little bit earlier in regards to the importance or value that you personally put into, you know, financial independence. You had on your talk, your wonderful talk at at, at uh, Alain's dinner. Uh, but at the same time, I'd like you to touch on that because a lot of people still have that, you know, unfortunate taboo relationship with the concept of money and financial independence and, you know, financial literacy. I don't know why that is. 
But I'd like you to touch on that. Just expand a little bit. What does financial independence mean to you? Yeah, so I think um, maybe uh, if you if you want to go back like a little bit into the historical roots of it, like so I think Karl Marx did us all a big disservice um, with giving us the idea that money is the root of all evil. So I think that's kind of an idea that's you know got some maybe communist or social socialist roots in terms of thinking, but like ultimately I think the most constructive way to conceive of money is as a tool. If you see it as an end in yourself and an end in itself, you end up involved in what I call the bank account Olympics. So, you know, people confuse money, which is a tool with an end sometimes. And I think if you start to see it as a tool, then it becomes a way of seeing what can money or what can a money flow do for you. And I guess I've always thought of money as a tool to give me freedom. And if that is, free time or the freedom to, you know, have the experiences or have the luxury of like living the kind of lifestyle that I want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's maybe, how can I say the first step towards financial freedom? Because if you're always chasing the idea of more, 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 and, you know, I think like the, be it, uh, you know, TV or like Instagram now, social media, like we end up having a lot of conspicuous consumption in our faces all the time. And we somehow identify, you know, the bling bling lifestyle. We think that that's going to bring us happiness. But I think if you like sit down and have like a conversation with yourself about what are the things that actually bring you joy in life? What are the experiences that you actually get a lot out of? I don't think it's going to be having a new watch or having a new car or having some kind of a disposable good that's maybe going to give you a five minute status high. Like it's more about what did moments did I share with my family or what, you know, trip did I take or what experience did I have that like having, having money allowed me to do that. And I think if you think of it that way, it's hard to see like money is the root of all evil, you know, it allows you for that opportunity and that uh, privilege to actually, you know what, go after the things that you want. Money gives you options. It's a lot of yeah. reading you have to do and not just, you know, just toss it out as, again, like you said, the root of all evil, we, I, which I do agree is a misconception because you know what? Money gives you options. Money gives you the opportunity, again, because it's energy, it's a tool that allows you to do good, yeah. not just, you know, to Absolutely. have fun, but to do good. Absolutely. Coming from a third world country, I can see what money can do for people, both good and bad. It's all about how yeah. you, what you do with it, man. Yeah. So, yeah, so powerful. No, and I think like also like as you, you know, like once you, let's say, climb the ladder of financial independence, like I guess for me, what's been very interesting is that like it stops being about you. Like I like to use the analogy of like my cup being full and like for me, like my financial cup is full. And so now there's no point pouring any more water into my own full cup. It becomes about where can I find somewhere to contribute like not necessarily financially but like how can i contribute to what somebody else is doing here how can i make their life better because i already have what i need and so i think like the ultimate irony is that like at a certain point if you experience like money properly like at a certain point you're going to just become saturated and you have enough to finance whatever it is that you want and then after that it becomes about helping other people and like making the world better you know 
Always, always, because it's when you when you're very connected and in tune with your why and you are, you know, motivated by a greater good of just serving. It's not about you. You yeah. definitely said it. Yeah, it is absolutely. not about you. And it's absolutely. genuine, genuine service. Oh, I'm just so, so, so jazzed right now. I'm just taking notes. <laughs> <My God. laughs> but it's true. It's a very sincere thing. It's great. It's terrific energy. It's terrific energy. You've done so much, as I said, you know, the, 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 the books, uh, again, the championships and, you know, your wonderful real estate career and this terrific wisdom, this coaching that you're giving, paying it forward. And at the core, you know, what keeps you so driven? What keeps you so dedicated? Again, how important is the mindset, the resilience? What keeps you going, Terry? Wow, that's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a tough question because like really, you know, it's actually funny. I was like thinking about this, like as I was leaving the gym today um, and thinking about how, so I'm, I'm 42 and I think that my, I just, it was my birthday yesterday. So, you know, when you have your birthday comes around, you sort of think a little bit about like, look back at your life and be like, okay, you know, what have what have I done? What have I not done? And, you know, I really think like the first 40 years of my life was um, a quest, a personal quest to check the boxes that I wanted to check. I wanted to win a world championship. I wanted to write a book and I wanted to build a successful business. And then, so I like really like I dedicated those years to those three things. And like, like, you know, earlier you asked about focus. Like for me, those things were so present in my mind that like every morning when I got out of bed, I knew that I was chasing those particular dreams. Right. And then once I checked those boxes, like basically like in the last, I don't know, three years, I guess, it then becomes about helping other people check their boxes. And I would be lying if I said that like I pursue that with the same lightning focus that I was pursuing my goals before. But like, I can see that as I like look forward into like the next, let's say 20 years of my life, it's going to be more about figuring out how can I be of greater help to, you know, the, the people that are around me and stuff like that. And that, that, that then becomes the new focus. So I think like ultimately it's always, you know, passion and goals but like those things change over a lifetime and I think if you do it right for some time it's going to be self-centered goals because maybe you have to achieve some stuff for yourself and then Mm -hmm. once you kind of hit those targets that you have then I think naturally it starts to become you know more about about other people it all falls into place yeah wow Terry I cannot thank you enough for this wonderful time and this amazing empowering message it, as i said this even before we start recording it is a pleasure privilege and a thrill see i'm missing up my words <laughs> a privilege <laughs> and a thrill uh, to have you on the pod because i definitely even through our first interaction i thought there was that i really considered there was something there terrific energy so much wisdom and experience that definitely the listeners can benefit from and again I know that time is something that's very precious. It's not something we can give back, but with something we should cherish and value. And with all that, with all the humility and respect, I want to thank you for your wonderful time. I really do appreciate your presence. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Like I said, this has been a very interesting conversation and one that I wouldn't have had the chance to have if I had not been a guest on the podcast. So thank you. (laughs) 
as a as a running tradition uh, on the podcast, we always like uh, to leave the floor to the guests. Final question. It's just not to put you on the spot, but again, as I like to call them, a call to action, a simple quote, a thought, uh, you know, just a recommendation or even just a tip. People can wake up tomorrow and taking a next step towards the next level. What can we leave the listeners with? <laughs> wow, that really is putting me on the spot. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to uh, refer back to the talk that I did on um, Alain Guillaume's 100th uh, podcast just to refer back to adversity because I think that like this is really, even myself, you know, when I hit bumps in the road, like sometimes I get a bit down and I think, you know, the um, main thing when you hit a snag, when you come up against an obstacle that you don't exactly know what to do with, don't beat yourself up because you don't, have a solution right then you know sometimes when you meet something that you don't know how to handle it's a call to grow and you have a choice to either shut down in the face of something you don't know how to deal with or to remain open and allow it to teach you whatever lesson you don't know yet and if I could give people one piece of advice it's exactly that that if you come confront because you will confront things that you don't know how to deal with you don't know how to overcome and when you meet those things if you allow them to teach you whatever they came into your life to teach you you're going to grow and be a much stronger person as a result of it amazing so we need to trust the process and learn along the way no matter what what come with me there you go oh man terry shower investor wonderful wonderful genuine energy author athlete, two-time jiu-jitsu champion. Guys, this has been another episode of the Awaken the Awesome Podcast. Terry, where can the listeners, shameless plug, where can the listeners connect with you on the interwebs? Uh, okay, so the easiest thing would just be my website, terryshower.com. And then you could also follow me on you know, social media, LinkedIn, um, on Facebook, and on Instagram, uh, Terry Shower. So yeah, not a problem. I will definitely link up all the web presences as I always do. I always keep my promises. I'll basically link, put all your links in the blog post once it goes live. Terry, once again, with all appreciation and humility and respect, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. As I like to say also, with all consideration, open invite anytime you want to be back. Well, definitely, this is not the, the, the last of our interactions. We'll definitely keep connecting over LinkedIn. Really privileged uh, to know you and connect with you, but definitely we will keep exchanging as I really do value your insight and wisdom. If I have any, if I ever, you know, dip my toes into the real estate game, definitely I will give you a call. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Have a terrific evening. Thanks so much for tuning in yet again to another episode of the Awakening the Awesome Podcast in the can. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, and please do give us a wonderful review. Five stars would be appreciated. But as always, stay resilient, stay, stay beautiful, stay healthy, stay safe, and please do, as always, stay awesome. This has been another episode of the Awaken the Awesome Podcast. We always love to get your feedback, so please do drop us a line via Instagram, Facebook, or email. Our email address, awakentheawesome at gmail.com. Do visit our official website at awakentheawesome.ca, where you can find our entire back catalog of episodes and incredible guests. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, give us a rating, and leave us a review, as this helps us tremendously in growing this podcast and spreading the word to more awesome listeners like you. We always appreciate your support, and thank you for listening. Stay awesome.